Morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, let me start this morning with uh, what is uh, maybe a controversial statement. I think much of how the American church has taught about serving God over the last 25 years is actually unbiblical. I think about how churches have traditionally talked about serving God or serving the body. We, uh, maybe you grew up in youth group and you did like a spiritual gifts test, you know, like you go online, you answer a bunch of questions about yourself, you feel like you're about to get your Enneagram number or something like that, right? And they give you back your spiritual gift, and then what are you told? Often what you were told is that if you start using this particular spiritual gift, this is how you will find true happiness and true fulfillment because it's how you're created. But I always think, like, has anyone actually stopped to ask the question of how much does that just sound like something else? like say our American culture, where we tell kids all the time that they just need to look inside of themselves, find their true self, and then if they live that out, they'll find their true happiness and fulfillment. But let's talk about this, let's just be honest and talk about this, because what happens if you start serving God, and you start living for him, and rather than finding happiness, you find a difficulty and suffering? Like what happens if you start sharing your faith with your friends, but all it does is actually just create tension in your friendship group. Like then what? What happens if you feel like God wants you to say yes to being a small group leader or serving out in the community with one of our local partners and it actually ends up being pretty exhausting and it's way harder than you ever thought it would be? Well now what? And I feel like for a lot of us, because we were told like, hey just start serving, work in your gift and you're gonna find all this fulfillment, we actually come to two wrong conclusions when we encounter difficulty. And I'll throw them up on the screen for you. Here's the two false conclusions we come to in America. We say, if I'm suffering and serving, then God must not be in it. And number two, we say, then I think I should stop serving and I need to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. And so I wanna talk through why are these really, really common conclusions in the American church, why are they false? And then I wanna talk to when you face difficulties in serving God and obeying God, how do you rightly discern those difficulties? And so we're gonna talk about that this morning, and I think we can do so pretty well by looking at the life of the Apostle Paul and specifically his writing. So Paul is the person who wrote the book of Colossians, which we are studying as a church this uh, fall. So go ahead and pick up a Bible at this point. This Bible's uh, under every chair in front of you. Uh, if you're in the front row, it's under your chair. Uh, we are uh, on page 805. Uh, if you got the chance to be here last week, uh, you got to hear uh, some of Peter Schuett's amazing testimony, all the way how God brought him out of jail and into the ministry and just has done amazing things to reconcile him and make him new, which is really what verses 21 through 23 were about. And now we're on verse 24. So on page 805, you want to find that small number 24, because uh, that's where we are at in our study of this book. Okay, so Paul says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Anybody know what that means? Maybe not, right? It's a super confusing verse, okay? So we're just gonna do one verse for now. We're gonna do a little bit more later, but let's take some time and actually unpack that because I think it's powerful if we do, but we, we're a Bible teaching church and I want you to actually make sense of the scripture, so we're gonna take some time with this. And while we do this one, I think we can actually break down that first false conclusion as well, which was that idea that if we encounter difficulty in serving, we say, I'm just not sure that God is in it. Okay, so then looking at verse 24, 
Paul says this really interesting phrase. He says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions or his sufferings would be another way to say it. At first, that almost sounds heretical. Like, okay, what could be lacking in the suffering of Jesus? Because we would say, like, his death is sufficient, that it atoned, it paid for our sins. So how could anything be lacking? Well, what is Paul actually saying then? Well, Paul is saying that he is, Paul, suffering, he says, for the sake of the body. Now, the body in the Bible is a metaphor for the church, and he's going to say, and also for those who aren't in the church yet, that he is suffering. And what he is saying is that he, what is excuse me, that then what is lacking in Christ's affliction is the presentation of those afflictions to others. So in other words, Christ suffered in love for people on the cross, but there are lots of people out there who haven't actually experienced the suffering love of Jesus. And so what is then one of the main ways that God is gonna use you to help other people understand God's love? It's actually through your difficulties and suffering. Now, let me remind you before we go any further in this, that this whole series of Colossians is gonna sound so, and probably has sounded, so foreign to your modern American ears. But I assure you it is not foreign to the truth of God's word. Now, if this kind of tricky verse isn't making sense yet, let me try and explain it one more way. Uh, Two weeks ago I read a story about a, a man, a Christian man from India, who was walking barefoot from village to village, sharing the gospel, sharing how to be saved with people. And he was experiencing a lot of persecution. There's a ton of persecution in India right now. If you're a, if you're a prayer warrior, that's a country to pray for. And he was going from village to village. Often he was just you know, thrown out or they throw things at him. And after the end of the long day, he walk, he's walking barefoot, he gets to another village, and he's trying to share about Jesus, and they basically run him out of town. And so he leaves town, he's just outside of town, and he stops at this tree, and he's so discouraged, and he's just in despair, and he sits down, his back against the tree, and he just, in his discouragement, he just falls asleep. Well, he wakes up like two hours later, and it's just, it was just a little village. Basically, the whole village is crowded around him, like waiting for him to wake up, which is like creepy when you wake up, right? You wake up, you're like, what's happening? And the headman of the village starts to explain to him, he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we we changed our mind when we saw your feet. And we looked at your feet and his feet were just covered in blisters because he had been walking from town to town to town trying to share this story. And the head man of the village said, we concluded that we were wrong to reject you and we want to hear the message of someone who is willing to suffer so much to bring us a message. Will you tell us? Okay, do you see what's happening here? That's exactly what Paul is talking about in verse 24 when he says that Paul is filling up his flesh. So in this case, it's his literal flesh, right? It's it's the soles of his feet. He's filling up his flesh with affliction, with suffering, because it's still lacking for some people. So that village, it was still lacking. They didn't know about the suffering love of Jesus, about a love so deep that we would suffer to bring it to him. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what Paul's teaching in verse 24. He, he wants you, his readers, and me to read that verse and say, I am going to be a visible representation of the suffering love of Jesus in my neighborhood. I'll do whatever it takes for them. At my workplace, in my school, no matter how much I might have to die to my own comfort, 
my own pleasures, my own schedule. I want to be the visible representation of the suffering love of Jesus for people. I mean, that's who Paul is, right? Think of the setting of uh, Colossians. If you were here week one of the series, I mentioned that Paul is actually writing the letter of Colossians from prison. I mean, he's put in jail, a horrible jail, for his faith. And yet, how does he start this particular, particular section? What are the first few words of verse 24? He says, I rejoice in what I am suffering. I rejoice. In fact, you see this kind of thinking a lot in the New Testament. Uh, early in the book of Acts, Peter and John are arrested for sharing their faith about Jesus, and the Pharisees flog them. And after their flog, it says they leave the flogging rejoicing that they were worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. Now, I always read those passages and I think, if I were flogged, I'm just not sure that the first thing I would do would be rejoice. And yet, what do these early Christians in the New Testament understand that we just don't understand? Because for most of us, even when our difficulties of serving and obeying God, even when it gets like moderately hard, I mean, they're dealing with like extremely hard, but for us, even when it gets moderately hard, we tend to just bow out and we say, ah, oh, this is getting hard. I'm not sure that God is in this. I, I, maybe this is a closed door right now. I hear that language a lot. So I'm just not sure I should go any further. And so what do these early Christians understand that we don't know? Well, I would say two things, really. One, I would say they know that difficulty doesn't necessarily mean that God's not in it. You think about it, all of the great heroes of the New Testament, they suffered at a magnitude of 10 times more than any of us have probably ever suffered, and yet they were walking right in the center of the will of God. And secondly, here's what they know that almost none of us know in America. They know that nothing spreads God's message like our suffering in serving him. Now, if that sounds weird to you, let's keep reading, and maybe it'll begin to make more sense. So if you pick up your Bibles again, we are at verse 25 now. So Paul says, I have become its servant. That's a servant of the church, a servant of suffering. By the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Okay, so Paul says, I'm willing to become the servant of suffering. Why? Well, because it's worth it. And because God commissioned him to it. And because as we've been saying, the theme of these two chapters, first two chapters of Colossians, is Jesus over everything. It's that for you as a Christian and for me, our goal in life is to glorify God. The goal of your life is not comfort. It's not self-fulfillment. It's to glorify God. And listen to me, you will not suffer for Jesus if you believe, as we've been teaching a lot in this series, if you believe that Jesus exists for you and not you for Jesus. Because one of the downfalls of believing, like many Christians do, that Jesus exists for you and to make things go well for you is that if you believe that, well then anytime things don't go well for you or serving him gets really hard, well then you're gonna lean towards 
dropping out. You know, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years now, and I'll tell you that one of the patterns that I've seen in two decades or so of ministry is I've seen a lot of other pastors or leaders uh, throughout the years, not even people who just volunteer on a general basis, when they get to a point where it gets hard, especially if you're in leadership, it's just hard. Leadership's hard no matter where you're leading. They get to a point where it gets hard and they'll come up to me or one of our pastors and they'll say something like, I just kind of feel like the Lord is leading me to step down. It's time to kind of pull away. And what's usually underneath that is a belief that says, I have now encountered difficulty and my discernment is that if God still wanted me to be in this, he would make a way to make it be easy again. But he hasn't. It's kind of a closed door, so that means that it's time for me to step back because he would make a way for things to be easier for me. And I gotta tell you, you know what that is? That is a lot of American Christians who are falling for what I would call a sneaky version of the prosperity gospel. Right, because we suffer, we're not living in the blessing, we suffer and then we're apt to say, God, why would you do this? as if God is not supposed to let you face difficulty. As if God doesn't intentionally use difficulty. If we wanna think biblically about this, we'll just, well, let's think about our author, the Apostle Paul. Think about his life. Now I know that many of you have come to Christ recently and you're just starting to read the Bible, so let me tell you a little bit about Paul's life. Paul had a hard life, a super hard life. He was put in prison actually multiple times. Paul was stoned for his faith. Multiple times he said, I didn't have anything to eat. I was so hungry. There were multiple times in his life he didn't even have clothing. He had chronic health problems. He prayed about, didn't get better. Family, he never got married. He was whipped five times. He was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked. I mean, even like one of those things would be like the worst thing that ever happened to us, right? His all of those things. Paul suffered and he suffered mightily. But let me ask you two important key theological questions. Number one, did God love Paul? And number two, did God use Paul tremendously? And I would say the answer to those questions are absolutely and absolutely. And if we know that to be true biblically, then let's apply it to our own lives. So think about your life. Okay, what if you did an exercise where I asked you to write out what your life might look like over the next 20 years? And I said, there's only two conditions to this exercise. I want you to write the story of you falling deeply in love with God. And the second thing I want you to write is I want you to write a story of how God might use you tremendously over the next two decades. Like to really change your neighborhood, maybe to change your whole extended family, uh, your workplace, your school. I want you to write that into the story. Now if you were to you know, write for three or four pages and you wrote the story of how that happened, let me ask you a question. Would you write any difficulty or suffering into that story? And for most of us, we wouldn't. We would just write the story of things going well because we assume that's how God is gonna work. And yet, most of the time in the Bible, he works the opposite way. Not always, but it's the opposite way. He works through difficulty and suffering. I know this is so foreign to our ears, so let me just give you, I'm trying to give you like 10,000 different ways to look at it. But here's another way to think about it. 
okay, what if Paul would, or what if God would have given Paul an easy life? Kind of like the ones that you and I usually pray for, like give me better health, give me a better job. Let's say Paul gets it all, right? God gives Paul a life with a lot of money. He gets great health, great job. He actually gets married. He has beautiful children. And Paul just kind of can enjoy his earthly pleasures in his hometown of Tarsus. Is there anyone here in this room, if Paul gets all that, that thinks that Paul's life is going to be just as effective for the kingdom? See, I think when it comes to this topic, many of us as modern-day American Christians, we believe things about this topic that would probably make the Apostle Paul tear his hair out. I don't know if he was bald or not, but if he had hair, he would pull it out. Because this is what we think. Here's what's underneath a lot of our beliefs. We have this belief that goes like this. We think, if my life goes well, and I do well at work, and my marriage goes well, and my kids turn out well, then my family and my neighbors will look at me and they will say, I want what you have, Jesus. And I am telling you, that's baloney. No one is ever going to come to that conclusion. Let me tell you what they're really gonna think. They're gonna look at your life and they're gonna be jealous. And then they're gonna feel inferior about their own life. And if for some strange reason, They want Jesus because of your life. They're not going to be wanting Jesus for Jesus' sake. They're going to be wanting Jesus because they think he could give them a good life too. But do you know what will really turn people's heads to want Jesus? It's your suffering. Think about this. Think about how non-believers look at our lives. In success, but think about how they look at our lives in suffering. Anybody can praise Jesus on the mountaintop, but when you can still praise him in the valley, it turns people's heads. You know, in many ways, this is exactly how Christianity has grown from 12 people to over a billion people now. It's through our suffering. And I don't just mean like our our own suffering of loss and health and hard circumstances. I'm specifically what this passage is talking about. It's the sufferings of those who will do anything to help other people know about Jesus, to build up his church. I think of missionaries like Hudson Taylor or Adoniram Judson, who on the mission field, they lost spouses, children even. And you know, if you read their biographies, you'll see that often it was after they buried a family member in the ground of a foreign land and still stayed. It was after that that then the locals began to wander up to them and say, would you tell me your message now? There was the suffering. Suffering is so much the story of our heritage. I think of, if you go back to the Roman Empire, the very last non-Christian emperor was the Emperor Julian. And as you might imagine, Julian was so extremely frustrated by the explosive growth of Christianity during his reign. In fact, he once wrote this to a friend. We have this in the historical archives of history. He wrote this letter. He said, let us consider that nothing has so much contributed to the progress of the superstition of Christians as their charity to strangers. I think we ought to discharge this obligation ourselves, establish hospitals in every place, for it would be a shame for us to abandon our poor while the impious Galileans, the Christians, provide not only for their own, but also 
for hours. So let me just tell you a little bit about the contrast of those days. So in those days, you know, obviously without modern medicine, they had a lot of epidemics. And one of the things that would happen is when people got really sick in an epidemic, mostly they were just abandoned because people didn't want to get it. But the Christians would come in because they had assurance of eternal life and they would care for the sick. Often they would establish clinics or hospitals. Or, or babies are another good example, actually. So in, in those days, a pagan Roman father, when he had a baby, what gender did he want? A boy, right? And usually they would have one girl, and that would be okay. But if they had more than one girl, almost every time, the Roman father would take that baby girl, put her out in the gutter to die, as the mother is screaming in the background. And what happened so many times in antiquity is the Christians would come along because they valued life in their worldview, and they would take the baby and raise the baby. See, Christianity exploded in the Roman Empire not because Christians were the ones that had the best lives. We need to rip American consumerism out of the gospel. Christianity exploded in the Roman Empire because the Christians were the people that loved God so much that they were willing to even suffer for him, to take in another mouth to feed when they didn't have the money to do it, to go risk their lives to care for the sick even if they might die. That's what turned people's heads as they served and shared their message at the same time. Okay, but maybe you're here and you're thinking, okay, I'm starting to conceptually track with this difficult passage a little bit. I see that in kind of an interesting way that what Paul is saying is that suffering promotes the gospel. And I see how that works in the Roman Empire, I see how that works maybe in India, but let's talk like suburban Anoka County, circa 2022, okay? Now, while we talk about that, I think we can actually start to break apart the second false conclusion, too, which was that idea that if I encounter difficulty, what I need to do is I need to stop serving and I need to make sure I take care of myself. By the way, as we start talking about our actual lives now and not the Roman Empire, I'm just going to warn you that this, this is going to get hard because it is so foreign. We always talk about how the, the Bible intersects culture. This one just hits right at 90 degrees, okay? Okay. This is gonna get hard, but it's important that you, you open up your heart to the word of God and his truth, not just get stuck in cultural norms. You know, I think one of the ways that you will suffer for Jesus, and God will use it tremendously, is if you give Jesus your most precious suburban asset, which is your time. You know, often I hear about people who are stepping back from serving God or volunteering. or There's just a lot of Christians nowadays that they just kind of attend a church and that's really all they do for Jesus. They're not out on the field serving him in any way. And lots of times the reason that we're either stepping back or not getting in it is because we say, I just got so much going on. Like it's cra- everybody's life is crazy as an American, right? So we say, I just got so much going on. And so what do we cut out? We cut out s- serving Jesus. And I just want to tell you, that makes it so much harder for your friends and family to legitimately believe you when you say that Jesus Christ is the most important thing in your life. Similarly, we we sometimes, we don't serve God or we, we step back from doing so because we say, I'm just so exhausted, I'm tired, I'm just fried right now, I need rest. And I want to tell you that biblically, rest is a really important concept. Jesus goes up on the mountain to rest, the Sabbath kind of runs through the whole Bible. Rest is so important. The problem is, I'm not sure that I even know five people 
who are exhausted from serving God so much. We're exhausted because our kids are in 37 activities. Right? We're exhausted because we stayed up to 1 a.m. watching Netflix. This is why one of our core values is we put God first. We put him first, and then we prioritize the rest of our lives so that when we're exhausted, we cut out the things of a lesser priority. Again, I know this is hard, right? I could stand up here and just give you some encouragements and tell you you're living life just right, right? And you can go find that somewhere else, but we're teaching the word of God here, even if it hits our culture at a hard angle. And so let me tell you another hard example of what suffering can look like for us. You know, I think sometimes in suburbia, serving Jesus gets cut out in the name of serving our kids. We say, you know what, I've been uh, out helping this family in need, but I've been going out every week and I'm gone for my kids. I'm in a house group and so I'm gone every week. I gotta get there early as a small group leader. Or here's one I actually hear a lot. People say, oh, I love what Renovation Church does in Africa. I would just love to go and share the gospel there. But it's like almost two weeks and I have kids and so I can't go. And underneath all that is a belief that says we don't want our kids to suffer in any way from us following the gospel. And I just wanna tell you that is a cultural lie from the enemy. Parents, would you just look at me for a second? You are not going to raise passionate, on fire kids for Jesus if they never see you sacrificing for him. If on your schedule, your kids are always more important than Jesus, what will they grow up to think of themselves? I was talking with a couple this week who told me that once a week what they do is they double, amount, double the amount of food that they cook. And they invite over one of their neighbors that doesn't know Christ for dinner. And I was asking them about it and they said, you know, truthfully, there are plenty of times where I think, I don't wanna go buy double the food. I don't wanna make double the food. I just wanna have another intentional night of family time around the dinner table but they said they do it, they embrace the difficulty of hospitality, the difficulty of outreach, because their number one priority is not their comfort. Their number one priority is not even their kids. Their number one priority is Christ. It's serving their God. And I know that this is a challenging message, so I know that it makes you kinda wanna go, yeah, but okay, David, in my situation, or, or, or what about this? Or, or what about that? And certainly there's complexity here, there's nuance here, but listen, our long list of exceptions and excuses has been lulling the American church to sleep for too long. And so I say, what if you swapped out your what-ifs of excuses and traded them for your what-ifs of faith? Like what if you said, what if I started a Bible study in my neighborhood on Tuesday nights and I invited my neighbors over to open up the Bible and read the book of Luke with me? What if? And immediately our mind goes, well, what if one of my neighbors thinks I'm crazy and they never talk to me again? Well, what if one of your neighbors comes to Christ? Right, what if? What if you said yes to a leadership position at church? What if you said yes to that very thing that God has been putting on your heart to do for years and you just haven't done it because it's too scary? And right now, you maybe start to ponder it again and that voice just comes right back and it says, don't do it, it's too hard. It's too hard. And I'm just telling you right now, it's gonna be hard. 
It just is. But for too long as American Christians, our only filter and rubric for what we decide is will this make me comfortable or not? And I'm telling you what the Bible says is the only way you decide is does God want me to do it or not? And if he does, and you know it's gonna be hard, that's where you come along and say, Lord, you're telling me to do it. I don't think I can do it. I think it's super hard. I'm not sure how it's gonna go, but you give me the strength to do it. See, that's the attitude of Paul. That was the attitude of the early Christians. That's been the attitude of Christians who don't just consume, but change the world, okay? And that's what we see in our final verse, in verse 29. So let's look at this critically. Verse 29, Paul says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So Paul's saying, to get out, to build up the church, to share the gospel, to suffer in the name of Jesus so other people may hear, I strenuously, by the way, that word means I labor until extreme fatigue. And so Paul is not phased by his difficulties. He's still in it. He didn't quit. He's still in it. He has discerned his difficulties correctly. I mean, let me just ask you, let's just, let's put the American context on top of Paul's context. Should Paul have come to that second false conclusion that we come to so often? Should Paul have said, they whipped me. They whipped me. They threw rocks at me. They put me in prison again. And so what I need to do, the most important thing for me to do right now is just to give myself some me time and take a couple years off and just spend some time on myself. Should Paul have said that? Because that's 100% what we would say. But Paul knows that God is working, that God is moving, so he continues to strenuously contend for the sake of the gospel. But some of you, I know exactly what's going on in your head. You're going, David, I just can't. I just can't. I'm, I'm so wiped, my life is crazy. I'm trying to get out there and share. I'm trying to... Oh, suffer for Jesus and love this really difficult person in my life right now. I just, I'm wiped. I can't, David, I'm not the Apostle Paul. Like, I don't have this endless energy inside of me. And I would just say, you, you must have read the passage wrong. Look at it again. Verse 29. I don't, I don't see you looking at it. Look at it. Verse 29. He says this. He says, to this end, I strenuously contend because I am Paul and I can do anything I set my mind to. That's not what he said. That's the American gospel. That's not the biblical gospel. See, this is not about your energy or your ability. What does it really say? It says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that who? Say it out loud. What does it say? What does it say? Christ, that Christ, that Christ so powerfully works in me. And so even when you feel like you are burned out, that you are empty, you can continue to strenuously contend. You can face the difficulty, you can survive the difficulty because it is Christ that is powerfully moving in you. It is Christ that gives you strength. It is Christ who loves you and will never leave your side. And listen, I believe that God would say to so many of you in this room, I believe he would say, in truth, I want you to know that most things are too hard for you. And I kind of like it that way. See, because it's then, and for some of you, it is only then 
that you will finally strenuously contend using the right resources, me. That you'll rely on me. And then when you do that, when you do that, I mean, just put the whole passage together, right? When you are suffering, it's getting hard, you're trying to serve God, but it's just hard, and you're going, and you're moving, and you're powering through the difficulty because of Christ. When you do that, what will people see? Not you, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? Amen. Amen.